Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. You're listening to Wrestling Changed My Life. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's it's five percent of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wrestling Changed My Life. Thank you so much for tuning in. This episode is with Lincoln McElravey, and it's a bonus episode, and here's what I mean. In addition to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast, I'm also producing a Dan Gable audio-only podcast documentary. And all I'll say about it is that if you like the 30 for 30 series, which I'm obsessed with, you're going to love this. It's going live near the end of September. We're in post-production now. It's going awesome. As part of that, as you can imagine, we interviewed a ton of folks, like 20 to 25 people. And some of those interviews are so good that we can't keep them to ourselves. And I wanted to release a few in their entirety. This one is with Lincoln McAravey, who... Three-time national champ, Olympian, five-time high school state champ. What more can you say about this guy? One of the best to ever do it. So we hope you enjoy it. Now, before we get into this interview, or podcast, I should say, quick shout-out to our fan of the week, Tyler Daniel. Tyler, thank you so much for tuning in, brother. Greatly, greatly appreciated. Now sit back as we take you to this interview in Iowa City with Lincoln, the mullet, McElravey. You know, maybe just kind of talk through like your experience with the Iowa program. I know you're a five-time state champ, and you know, I know all the accolades. So, like, what was your first uh, experience with Gable? Did he come out and personally recruit you? Um, he did personally recruit me. I would say the relationship with Iowa started more with Terry and Troy Steiner. They were from North Dakota, and I was from South Dakota. Although I didn't know them in high school, and they were uh, four years older. But I had some opportunity in the summers to go up to Bismarck, where they were from, and spend some time with them at some at some wrestling camps they were teaching at, and just super guys, Terry and Troy, and they they helped me so much, you know, to improve and just to have a great, you know, philosophy and work ethic about wrestling, and and they're really, I'd say they were the initial contact or relationship with the University of Iowa wrestling program. So I give them a ton of credit. And, you know, you have so many stories with those guys because your freshman year, was it Troy or Terry that had to go down in weight because of, uh, I don't know really why that happened, but that's how you got in the lineup late your freshman year. It is, yeah. The uh, the team was struggling a little bit in terms of, you know, looking like the, uh, the all-in favorite to win the Nationals that year. So mid-year 
Coach Zaleski, who was the assistant coach at the time, came to me and said, hey, what do you think about competing this year? And I said, I think that'd be great. Um, and I lived, I was living with Terry and Troy Steiner, and they, they trained three times a day, every single day. So I just thought that was the thing to do. So I just trained with those guys. And so even though I hadn't been competing much as a red shirt, I was, I was ready. You know, I would, had been following those guys around. So I was very excited, but I was a little confused because, you know, we had Terry Steiner at 150, which would have been probably the ideal weight for me, and Troy Steiner at 142, which I would have not thought to go there anyway because it would have, would have been a pretty hard cut for me. And Jimmy, you know, put up the 142 numbers with his fingers, and I'm like, and, yeah, what's Troy? I mean, Troy's a returning national champion at 142, and he's ranked number one. And he goes, well, I already talked to Troy, and he's willing to go to 134. And I said, well, if he, you know, if that's what's best for everybody, I'm in. I'm ready. I'd love it. So I got the opportunity wow. right then and there. Yeah, it was it was really neat. So those guys would literally work out three times a day. They were that committed. That committed, and I'm it's like every day, even if you know maybe one of them was a recovery type thing, sauna stretch or something like that, but. You know, they ran so many stairs and lifted so many weights and drilled so many hours. It just, it was just incredible to see their work ethic. And I, I tried to keep up with them as a freshman and maybe a little bit as a sophomore. But after that, like, you you know, I couldn't maintain that pace of training. I just, I just physically couldn't do it. Um, but they did it all the way through. Some of that's body type, but a lot of it's just mentality and, you know, just, they're just tough. Super tough. Um, I mean, and yeah, I mean, they're national champs. I mean, what, what, you, what can you say? And so you, you get the, right. you get the call, you start to make the cut. Um, and you know, I was just reading a story about your first match at Carver. Um, and actually one of the sections of the documentary is what it's like to wrestle in Carver. So like maybe just kind of talk us through your first match there and like, what was the atmosphere like? And like, what were you feeling and kind of, how was that? Yeah, I think if you look at history, some of the really great Iowa wrestlers have been, you know, their in-carver record was really, really good. I think maybe Barry Davis never lost a match in Carver. That is that right? Um, Could be. Yeah. You know, I, I think that might be true. And, you know, most people love to wrestle in Carver. And my first match out of redshirt, you know, I lost. And so I only lost three matches in Carver so it, that's not the common denominator but it it there's no pressure at Carver me had the greatest fan base in the world and the greatest fans and it should have been all the right ingredients of just you know, these killer performances and I just really never performed all that great in Carver really and is that yeah. where is that where the the Nationals were in the, the Marinetti match? Is that at Carver? It was at Carver, yeah. Again, that has nothing to do with that, but, like, <laughs> it just happened yeah. to be there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then after that match, I mean, is it true that Gava put on these mock duels, like, the week leading up to the Arizona State match your freshman year? He did, yeah. And I think, you know, I think he maybe sensed that I was a little – 
intimidated or just not used to the types of crowds in that environment. Um, you know, you're wrestling on TV probably for the first time in my life. And it's just, it's Iowa wrestling. And, you know, it, there's part of it's like you put this Iowa wrestling singlet on and you already have, I mean, I already had really high expectations for myself, but you put on the suit of armor and the expectation goes even higher. And sometimes when your expectations at a higher level, it kind of leads to frustration. And that, that sort of happened to me. Like I didn't represent my ability. I didn't represent the program very well my first match out. And, and I, you just, I was thinking that there's this invincibility now that I'm an Iowa wrestler because you watch Iowa wrestling on Iowa public TV and all the dominating performances. And I aspired to that. So I thought, well, this is, here's my chance. But it just didn't happen. And actually, it was great for me to have to reset and get back to the fundamentals of why I love the sport and what things yeah. are effective. But yeah, Coach Gable, I had mock um, tryouts the following maybe week or two weeks. And they piped in the uh, piped in crowd noise as if it was a crowd. And the big mat was out in Carver. And, and you know, they were they were, I would say, unofficial wrestle-offs. Um, and I'd, so I'd come out of red shirt and now my red shirt's over and, and now I've got these wrestle offs. And I went and talked to coach Gable about that. And I said, I'm not going to lose, but what if I lose? He goes, well, you're not going to lose. I said, I agree. But what if I did? Cause this is a big deal. It just threw away a year of eligibility. If, if I were to lose one of these wrestle offs and he said, well, right. We'll just keep wrestling until you win. <laughs> so that that took a little that took a little pressure off, you know. But uh, yeah, it just so goes to show he, how he, dedicated he is, though, to go the extra length to do that, like to organize that during a week, and you know, to have. And I I even read that maybe some fans were there in person. Like, I just it just kind of shows how dedicated and uh, how much he cared for the athlete. He does, and and not only care and, and the extra effort, but he has tremendous insight. You know who would have who would have thought to do that? I've never heard of that before or since then. And he and it was the right recipe. And a lot of times with Gable, even if it was the wrong recipe, because it's Gable, it's now the right recipe. You just believe in the guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what would he? Uh, what would he say to you? And I'm curious into people's self talk before a match. I'd love to hear what yours was. Like, what would he say to you before a match to kind of get you in the right frame, or would he leave you alone? He really left me alone, um, and and that's where I think he was so good. Some some of the athletes he he would say things to, and and in the pre match address when he'd talk to the whole team, he would single out athletes and tell them what they needed to do to win, and and sometimes he would skip over me, and I'm like that seems odd, you know, that he just skipped over me, but I, I took that in a good way because I figured he, he thought I was ready. And when you think that he thinks you're ready, you're ready. Yeah. I can't even imagine how, how confident someone must feel like that. Um, and so, I mean, you were part of some great teams and, you know, the 97 team was your, was your senior year. So, I mean, obviously that team's legendary. I mean, what was it like, um, kind of like a day in the life? If you're in the season, 
you know, what what's the day in the life like? What are you time you getting up? What are the practices like? like who are your workout partners? Like, well, kind of take us there to like 94, 95, 96. Yeah, I, I always sensed that the tournaments and the dual meets were really kind of like a day off compared to the practices that we went through. And part of that's the practice format, who's running the practice, the intensity. A lot of it, though, and probably even as much as anything, is who you're wrestling with in the practice room. And even though I was a little bigger than Tom and Terry Brands and, you know, the same size as Terry Steiner, but, but a little bigger than Troy Steiner, these are the kinds of guys. I, these are multiple national champions, and then, you know, some of them obviously world and Olympic champions. That was the room. That's who, Those are the people I worked out with. And, you know, Joe Williams, a little bigger than me, but a three-time national champion, Olympian. There was nobody in the country that was anywhere near their level. So, you know, you'd go wrestle a, a dual meet. It's like, I'm so glad we got the day off. I mean, you had to perform, but to go wrestle for seven minutes against somebody other than one of the people in our room, very easy comparatively. Um, doesn't mean doesn't mean you always won or it was easy, but I got very nervous for practice pretty much on a daily basis. If you didn't come in properly rested, properly nourished, and in the right frame of mind, you didn't survive. And uh, it was it was just very, very competitive. And, I, you know, I think sometimes people feel like I'm going to rise to the occasion. Well, we really don't. We, we default to our level of training when the pressure's on. And our level of training was so high that our default was just incredible performances. Every single person I talk to says that. Ed Bannock said that. Barry Davis said that, um, and I'm talking to others today. They all say that the dual meets and tournaments were an off day. Everyone says that. Yeah, it's true. It's crazy. I mean, and yeah, I mean, I'm I'm from Illinois. I'm a huge uh, Joe Williams fan as well, and, and the whole family obviously was dominant. So, I mean, that was your that was probably one of your main workout partners there. I mean, I know he was a way to heavier than you, and probably cut a lot, so he was way bigger. But I mean, that that's a style that you, you rarely are gonna find. Um, it's just crazy to think about you were wrestling Joe Williams every day like that. Yeah, and I, I had to be careful wrestling Joe Williams because he was bad for my confidence. <laughs> I have to be honest. I mean, <laughs> he was a little bigger, right? But he was so good that um, you just didn't you didn't get a lot of confidence from wrestling Joe Williams. I mean, he he just was that good. We had fan, we had great practices and incredible um, with most of the other guys in the room you know, you could sort of let the fur fly a little bit and get into different positions and, and learn and wrestle and scramble. Not Joe Williams. If you made the smallest of mistakes against Joe Williams, you're just on your back. And and so it was a completely different type of practice when I'd wrestle with Joe. Um, it was just a lot of intensity, but a lot of just do not give him anything or he'll, he'll just just run you over. How explosive and was that I, guy? I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, just incredibly explosive and, and fairly long arms, but very fast. And, and you know what? His technique was very good for, for his body type. His technique was very good. Yeah. And you talk about the, the mindset coming into practice and that you had to be on, on your game. Like, what was your mindset? Was it one of, like, excited to learn and kind of explore new areas or was it one of like battle and, and kind of like ready to go, so to speak. And you were doing the learning in the morning workouts. 
Yeah, I mean, I think if you came in a little tired or a little undernourished or something, I was nervous for those. Just from, I would go into practice, try to get as much out of it as I can. But if yeah. any of those facts, like if you're wrestling Tom Brands and you weren't well rested, well nourished, and mentally prepared, it was going to be a miserable day, you, you know. So yeah, I came in nervous. I was nervous for practice, almost as if I was in a meet. Um, and I wanted to perform, you know, and a couple of things that were really interesting about my career when I was, a, when I first came in, Mark Ryland, who was a national champion, gave me a, two pieces of advice. Both were really, really good. The first thing he said is, if you just win, Gable will leave you alone. That was great advice. And the second thing he said was, if you watch Gable coach, he spends almost all of his time coaching in the center mat. If you want his attention, practice in the center mat. And so, you know, I tried okay. to win, so he'd leave me alone. I tried to practice in the center where I'd get his attention. Yeah. I mean, would you say that you and Coach Gable were 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 close over the years? Yeah, I think we were very close. And I, I've said this a handful of times, and I, I think it's true. Like, anybody that knows Coach Gable – feels like they have a special relationship with coach Gable and he's just, he's just that type of person. Um, it's an honor to speak yeah. with him today. You know, we live just a few miles from him. If I see him in the community, it's just, it's, it's a highlight to see him, you know? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I say, yes, I don't really know what you mean, but I can imagine because everyone says that too. It's like, you know, there's, there's certain people in life like John Wooden or like a Lombardi where every one of those guys feels like they had a really close relationship with him. And that's just how he made you feel, you know? Yeah. Right. And how could he have that many close relationships? I don't, you know, that's part of his genius. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things I'm most interested in is, you know, how, uh, you know, how connected he was with the athletes after a tough loss. I mean, you, you see the flow documentary on Terry Brands after 96 with Kendall Cross. And, um, you know, you, you, I had Ed Bannock on. He talked about the Mark Schultz loss. Um, you know, like after the, the, the Marinetti match or, or even like 96 trials, like, like what, would he, what would he say to the athletes after, after a tough loss from, from guys who rarely, rarely lost? He was so uniquely qualified, and he still is to identify with that person, a, 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 a great competitor with high degrees of success, takes a devastating loss. No one had been in that position and felt what he felt any more than he did. And so when you have those losses, and I had, I had some of those losses, and, and um, you knew he identified, but you knew it wasn't acceptable. Like, let's find what it is that went wrong and make sure it never happens again to the extent that it's possible. And you, you know, you saw his career and we all saw how he responded to that. And he did lose other matches mm -hmm. after that. I think it's a little bit of a mis you know, a misinterpretation. Probably people think coach Gable only lost one match in his life. Well, that's not true. Um, but the things he accomplished after that are just incredible. But I think the one, I think that one loss uniquely qualified him to be human because he's a little yeah. bit invincible anyway. <laughs> and, and so apart from that, it would have been, you know, a little harder to identify with this, this guy who's basically invincible. 
Well, I mean, he, you know, he had to lost the league camp in like 76, 75, 76. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you, you look at a guy who kind of comes through the college circuit unblemished, but then did have some losses in freestyle. But, but even a guy like, you know, look at John Smith and, you know, he beat the, the Russian in the finals of 88, but then in like a expedition duel the next year, he lost to him. So like, you know, everyone has those kind of humbling moments, so to speak. Um, and I know, had you wrestled the, uh, the Canadian much before the Olympics? Did you guys wrestle in the Worlds a couple of times? We did. We've wrestled, we wrestled six times total and each of us will have won three, you know, so, and all those were like in a two year period. So we wrestled a lot here, you know, toward the end of our, of my career anyway. And, um, how much did yeah, you change, are, change as you got to the international scene? It changed a lot. Um, just, there's no way I could have maintained the, the pace that I did at, at the university of Iowa when you're, you know, I was 26 years old at the end of my career and you just can't do that. And so you had to train smarter, manage health and, and, um, become a little bit more of a specialist. I would say, you know, college wrestling, there's just, there's so many people you're going to wrestle throughout your college career. And, and you just, you got to be really great at everything because you might go to the nationals and first round draw somebody from, you know, from Rutgers that you'd never heard of before, but he's got a, you know, he can put a leg in and just ride anything. And you, you know, you have to be ready for that. Right. Whereas at the, the international scene, that, that's true to some extent, but it's a lot more limited in terms of the numbers of people you'll wrestle and you get to know them a little better. Um, so it's just diff- It's just different, but it's more focused. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. Was the Tiev around at all when you were there? Or was it a different weight class? Um, I wrestled one tournament where we were at the same weight class, uh, Adam Satiev. And then by the end of his okay. career, he was, you know, up two weight classes from there, but I never wrestled him. Either one of gotcha. them. Gotcha. Yeah. You, you look at that match of him, him versus Yoel Romero in 2000 and like Yoel Romero still competing. <laughs> like what the heck, man? Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> And I saw Adam Cassidy um, pin, pin Joe Williams and I, you know, and pin Joel Romero. My, my respect for his abilities, I always think of him as probably maybe the best ever. I really do. And his brother like is absolutely. one of the best ever too. You know, it's like, yeah, right. Right. It's, uh, it's crazy. Um, well, one of the, one of the sections of the, the documentary is on the Oklahoma State rivalry. And I'm talking to Leroy Smith in about an hour and a half here to get his perspective on it. But, you know, you were a part of, in my opinion, the best college team ever, 96-97. And, you know, that story is well documented where you guys lost to Oklahoma State at the National Duels at the University of Nebraska. Um, you sat out against Oklahoma State because of the head thing. And then, you know, you guys come back to the Nationals and you absolutely dominate them. So, like, what was – like, what was the perception of Oklahoma State in the room? Were they considered the like the rivals, or was that just a media thing? Yeah, I can only give you my own perception of that. I don't sure. know like what the general perception was. Um, I I don't even remember who they had at my weight that year specifically. So wrestling such an individual yeah. sport that yeah, 
I think we're more as athletes, we're more focused on, you know, on our own performances, but then like at least who's in my weight and there might be somebody from a different school. And I didn't really worry too much about other teams. And I know Oklahoma State was a strong favorite and, and there was a lot of hype around that. And, and even as, as the Nationals started and we had a lot of momentum and a lot of bonus points and coach John Smith, who I respect greatly, is one of my absolute favorite wrestlers. You know, he said something like, oh, those bonus points are just play points. So that that statement got a lot of a lot of press. And I, Coach Gable kind of made light of that a few times too. But, you know, we just – I think everybody was focused. And Coach Gable had hip replacement surgery that year. So he was kind of out often. And he was on crutches. And it was a different year. But, but it was a very, very exciting year. And I, I don't know that anybody sensed that the overall team would have that kind of a performance going in. I mean, the, you read some stories about the amount of matches you guys won between like Thursday night and Friday night. It's, it's pretty crazy. Um, and but then you look at the guys on the team and you're like, Oh, they had Mena, they had Ironside, they had Fullheart. I mean, these guys are top of the top of the game type guys. Um, and so one of the stories that I found most interesting was I found this super rare tape of, Gable talking about you know how after the Big Tens that year, I think you guys had two champs and you and Ironside, and he wasn't he didn't feel the team was ready, and so he was kind of like panicking on the way back. This is what he said, and you know, he was going to work you guys really really hard. And then like the Monday morning, he worked pretty hard, and that night same thing. And then he remembered back to '94 when he had done the same thing with his with the world team he was coaching, and how the team didn't perform because they were overtrained, and then he kind of had this epiphany where he said, Hey, I'm not going to, I'm just going to work on the mental side of things versus really working these guys hard before the nationals. Do you remember that at all? That, that kind of that, that shift in his uh, mentality, so to speak. Well, I don't remember that specifically and probably because, you know, we just figured he had it all mapped out and, and he is, yeah. he is kind of a lifetime kind of a guy, you know, he, he makes adjustments as needed as he goes, but he's so engaged that he sees that. You know, he's he sees that this specific team needs the mental side or they need rest or whatever they need. He's just so tuned into that. Um, and I remember maybe as a sophomore or junior, the preseason, as a freshman, I always, we ran, just ran and ran and ran. And then as a sophomore, we wrestled the whole preseason. We just didn't run much. And I said, coach, what's, you know, why are we so different than last year? And he goes, well, you guys, you guys don't know how to wrestle. You got to learn how to wrestle. So we're going to wrestle, you know? <laughs> and <laughs> Okay. You know, but he, he was just so tuned in to the group that he had. And, and, you know, the mental side, the things he said to Jesse Whitmer, I remember those distinctively. Um, the week of the nationals and the week, you know, prior to nationals between big tens, it was, a, it was a gene. It was just, there was, there were genius remarks that he said to the right people at the right time. Um, and the results obviously speak for themselves, but we did have an all-star team. I mean, I don't know if you've count the state championships that were on that team, but there was, there were a lot, you know, with Mena and Williams and Ironside and, um, yourself, guys. I mean, Mena had yeah. four. Mena had four. Williams had four. Ironside, I don't know how many he had. Probably three or four. You had five. Um, 
Lee Fullhart. Fullhart and, and then, I mean, Fullhart had, you know, he beat Kel Sanderson at the U.S. Open and took a match from him in the 04 trial. So, like, I mean, he's good. probably the least well-known guy of that whole team, which is crazy. I mean, of the of the champs. Yeah. I mean, um, right. and then you figure Mena lost to Guerrero, and you know, Guerrero is you know, one of the one of the the greats of that time as well. So it's like, what a crazy group of guys. I mean, um, just crazy. But that wasn't the only great team you were on. I mean, what what were some of the other uh, the other early teams you were on, and like who were some of the leaders of those teams outside of the signers? Yeah, 93 was a neat team, in my opinion. I was a freshman coming in, and so there was a bunch of fifth-year seniors, Chad Zapital, the Steiners, uh, you know, John Ostendorp was was uh, the heavyweight, and it was kind of like being a part of an expert team, and you go out to a dual meet, and I, just, I knew everybody else was going to do their job, and it's just a little bit easier to do your job when you're part of something that great. Right. And, no, my know, brother the wrestled you, at the Coach. The things I learned, yeah. I was going to say, my brother wrestled at Co, and I love Coach O. That is a great guy, man. He's uh, got a He's great, a great program at Co College. Yeah. Yeah. And those guys were very complimentary of, of my abilities, and they, you know, they believed in me at the time. And I learned a lot from them in terms of training and peaking and weight cutting and, and, and just the confidence part of the, of the sport that you can only get through – high levels of skill, you know, and being around yeah. other like-minded people. And I was really fortunate to be a part of that team. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like Daryl Weber was a local Iowa guy that nobody worked harder than Daryl. And he won a national championship. And he was around my weight class. You know, great workout partner. Um, Mike Euchre, great workout partner, ended up being an All-American. And just we had some really great people that, that uh worked hard you know everybody worked really hard and like what the theme i get is that you know he would get the blue chips but maybe not all the blue chips but he would also get you know guys who were solid high school wrestlers but not like a fargo champ but he would convert them into these like he would convert their self-belief and then their abilities would follow and he'd get things out of them that other coaches probably wouldn't have got out of them right and I remember being recruited here and Daryl Weber was a year older. So he was in the room and coach Gable was telling me about Daryl Weber. And I'm looking, and I'm looking at the kid thinking guys, my weight. And I asked Gable, I said, isn't he my weight? And he, he said, McElravey, don't worry about it. There's room for both of you. And he, you know, he saw that he, he knew how to fit people into, into weights and he would, phased them in at the right times in terms of the recruiting process and forecasting what years they would be, you know, an active part of the team. And <laughs> I just think he was so genius all the way around, really. You know, I remember hearing he, they passed on Alan Freed because he wasn't going to fit in to the, to the lineup. Now, is this the guy who, and I have yet to confirm this story in all my research, is Alan Free the guy who was like a stud high school wrestler and they asked him like what he liked to do and he had other interests in wrestling so he wouldn't recruit him? I know that's kind of blown up, but is that that story? It could be. I know and Alan was from Ohio, really talented okay. um, as a high school kid. He pinned Tom Brands in the Midlands finals and he was competing in some of those events as a high schooler and, and 
really, really wow. great. Yeah. What did he go to? And I would say, and he went to Oklahoma State, and I would say in 1993, he's a big part of the reason that I came out of redshirt because if he was still, he Oklahoma State were sanctioned that year, so he couldn't compete. And I, mm-hmm. I think as a freshman, you know, that's not somebody I would have beaten very often. Yeah. So I probably would have stayed in red shirt if he were competing that year. Um, Interesting. But he, yeah, but he was And you ended so. up wrestling Jerry Abbott to the finals. Talk us through that match because I've watched it. And, you know, Stephen Abbott is really well known, one of the greats. Um, but like, talk us through that match because you were down pretty big and then you made a comeback and you were down again. And like, what was that experience like? I think I was down five in the third period. It was, it was a, the, the speed of the match was, was pretty incredible. I mean, he was a little longer and a little faster than I had anticipated. He, he was different than anyone I'd really wrestled. And I would, you know, this is, I shouldn't say this. I was probably a little bit overconfident. I thought here I am a freshman in the national finals. I'm wrestling really well. I'm, you know, if I felt a little invincible at the time and, and yeah. he changed my mind on that in a big hurry because he took me down about three times right in a row really easily. And uh, I guess going into the match, I thought he would probably get pretty tired. And by the end, it might even be easy. That's really what I thought. Well, it's never easy. And it, sometimes it looks easy, but it's never actually easy. And, um, you know, I think I was just I was fortunate enough to get to, he was very tired to keep some momentum going and just a couple breaks here and there. I got, a, I think I got a key reversal at the end of a period that sort of kept me in the match and there enough little good things were happening that I still believed I could win. And then when I looked to my corner, you know, Gable and Zaleski were still believing in me and that helped. Yeah. I, I have it, it up now at the beginning of the third, you cut him. It's eight to 10. He takes you out at the beginning of the third, you're down four. And then, you know, we all know what happens. You come back and, and when you're first as a true freshman and probably one of the only Iowa true freshmen to ever do that with Gable because he was pretty big on redshirting. Yeah, he was. And I think I, I would have redshirted too, but the team sort of needed a bump, I think. And and I, they believed I could win. And like I said, there wasn't – obviously at that level, there, everybody's really good. But Alan Freed, for example, was, was not in the mix that year and – had somebody like that yeah. been in the mix, I probably would have just stayed in red shirt, to be honest. And was it a tough conversation with your with your parents coming out of red shirt? Because now your dad was pretty involved with your career. Yeah, he was involved. It was pretty easy coming out of red shirt. It was tougher after I lost my first match. Because <laughs> all of a sudden, <laughs> this didn't look like as good of an idea as it did uh, earlier. And it wasn't it wasn't like I came out of red shirt and wrestled Alan Freed the first match and lost. I, I lost to, a, I, I believe it was an unranked kid from Northwestern and, and he's a good wrestler, but probably a match that, you know, sh- people would have thought I would have won at that, that point. And, yeah, you would, you would think yeah. so. And uh, I didn't. So then I think it's a, a big question. Did we make, did we make a big mistake here? And well, my dad know, likes to see Gable. Yeah, my dad even told told Gable for years afterward, like we were both wrong. Like I think he kind of in in just but saying, Coach Gable, you were wrong to bring him out, but I was wrong to think he wouldn't get it done. So yeah. they laughed about it, but it was all good at the end. 
And, and like one of the things, I know we've talked a lot about Gable here, and that's just because of this, this documentary I'm doing, but I would love to, you know, in a few weeks or a few months have a conversation kind of more about your career. But one thing I'm particularly interested in is, Nick, when you were competing, you had like a very serene kind of feel to you. Like what was your self-talk like an hour or even 10 minutes before a match? One of my favorite guys to watch was Jordanov uh, from Bulgaria, Valentin Jordanov. Uh-huh. He's a 114-pounder, yeah. multiple-time world champion, and really fun to watch him wrestle, but almost even more fun to watch his pre-match routine. And he was so calm. It looked like his pulse was like 60 when he would walk out there. And then he would just, you know, just throttle people. And and I kind of, as I learned more about the mental side of wrestling and the calm mind, it, you know, it's the sharpest of your mind is when it's the calmest. And as thing, so the, the trick for me was to get physically ready, get your heart rate up and get sweating and get, you know, physically warm and hot, but mentally to be at a very cool, calm and collected state so that I just saw things clearly. And I learned that from like Valentin and... Dave Schultz was really that way. You know, Dave would smile at you and then break your arm a second later. And I really <laughs> thought that was pretty cool. And were you out at Fox Catcher at all during those times? I know Valentin obviously was out there a long time. Yeah, he was. And I got to go out there as a junior in high school. Dave Schultz invited me to come out for a week. And um, wow. so I was there for that week. And then I, well, it was a really fantastic experience. And then um, I was there a couple times in my freestyle career, but never trained there, really just stopped in to kind of watch the world team when I was in college a little bit. So, um, but yeah. What, what, was that, what was experience? that experience like as a junior in high school? I mean, unbelievable. Oh, I just felt like I was on top of the world. You know, David Schultz of all the, you know, of all the greats, he personally invited me and my brother to come out. And I, you know, we stayed in his house with his family for a week and trained with them and and Valentine was at there Fox and a Catcher? bunch of other yeah it was it was so neat to to be there at that time unbelievable um yeah a guy by the name of you know Sean Bourmet who's the head coach of Michigan he he was you know has a, a big Illinois presence and I've had him on and he talks about that too going out there and, and he's like hey Dave I want to wrestle you and you know, Dave tech them and like you know call it 30 seconds and he's like, yeah. let's keep going. And he's like, listen, I just text you, text you, man. Like, this has got to be competitive for me too. I mean, he would, he would do that to guys. <laughs> yeah, Dave was such a character. When I was out there at the time, I, I said, hey, Dave, I would like to work on my parterre defense. And you know, I knew a little bit about his career, but looking back, I mean, he was, he loved to punish people from the top position in freestyle. Just, just made him giddy to do that, right? And so I said, I'd like to work on my parterre defense. And he put his hands together and rubbed them and this big smile. And he just, cause it was like, are you kidding me? You want me on top of you? He just loved it, you know? <laughs> and he hurt me so bad. I'd never, I never felt anything like that in my life. Wow. And the last question for you would be is, like, if you think back to like, all the workout partners you've had, who's like the guy who, would really like kind of brought the brought the heat and was just an absolute grind and, and a battle to go with. I would have to say Tom Brands. 
we had we had some incredible workouts. I remember one specifically, Coach Gable. I think I don't remember the point. I think you had to score seven take. One person had to get seven takedowns, and then it was over. That took you five minutes. You're done. That was practice. If it took you an hour and a half, then you're done. And and I was with Tom that day, and I don't I don't remember who won, but it took forever. It took like an hour and a half for one of the other for to get seven, to seven takedowns. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Wow. And you know, neither neither of us stood around. We were both trying to score. So that was that was a very tough workout. Big. But no, and that's the good news. I was a little bigger, so other than that, I would have probably been in a heap of trouble. But so he was still going hard even after. Well, that was probably before the Olympics in '96. Yeah, I maybe, think that was probably pre ninety six. Yeah, I think those. I was probably in college, and it was he was trained, and he was you know he was in fantastic, you know, ready shape at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, well, uh, really appreciate you helping out with this uh, documentary, and I'll, I'll definitely send it to you uh, before we go live with it, sir. Sounds great. Good luck with it. That's the end of this episode, but definitely not the end of the show. For more episodes, please go to wrestlingchangemylife.org. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a star rating. Show the love, baby. Show the love. Thank you so much. We'll see you again soon. Peace.